0: We sang from Psalm 1. Did you notice, did you hear the Spirit of God saying to you, that man, that woman has perfect blessedness, who doesn't walk astray, who doesn't sit with ungodly men, but who lives according to God's Word. What an encouragement for us to live the beautiful life In fact, not only did you hear the Holy Spirit say it to you, but imagine you were standing in a synagogue this morning in Jerusalem or in Nazareth, and standing beside you was the Lord Jesus Christ, and you hear him say, how blessed, how happy is the man, the woman, who doesn't walk in ungodliness, but who plants themselves like a tree rooted by a river in God's word and who will bear fruit in season. You, he says, you will stand on the day of judgment. You will not be blown away like chaff. Doesn't it make you want to give yourself afresh to saying, how can I be more like my savior when he is giving me such a great assurance? And so that's what we want to think about this morning the beautiful life, or the the power of a Christian's life. Do you ever get discouraged at the state of Ireland, the state of society? Greed and lawlessness seem to abound. Violence uh, on the streets of Dublin. Maybe you've seen those TikTok or YouTube videos. There's a program on the other night. It was on BBC, and it was talking about the colossal increase in shoplifting in the UK. There's a loss of respect for authority. There's a rewriting of moral standards. There's all the the variety of sexual preferences and licentiousness. There's the straight out lies and failure of those in authority to keep the promises that they've made and that the state of the world could get us down. There are agendas being pushed. The eradication of Christianity from all the moral structures of the nation could discourage us. The widespread ignoring of God's ways and God's word. What does Ireland need? Well, what did Crete need? Crete was the same sort of world. We read from chapter 1 yesterday and we saw that Crete was a culture marked by violence, quick tempers, drunkenness lack of subordination to authority, uh, empty talk, lying, greed, gluttony, laziness. They were self-indulgent. And things haven't really changed in 2,000 years. But why does what Paul said 2,000 years ago have have relevance for us? Why does it matter in 2023? Did it actually matter back then? Or was he as out of date back then as he is today? I remember reading a book called The Other World View by an author, Peter Jones, that I found really insightful. And I'm telling this so that we're setting the scene for why we need to hear what Paul is saying to Titus. Peter Jones made the point that behind everything that's going on in our world is both the conscious and the unconscious desire to get rid of God. He said, Christianity is quite simply about the number two. Everything else is about the number one. Christianity says there are two. There is a creator and a creation. Everything else, every other religious belief and worldview is saying, no, one. Forget about God. We want rid of God. We we, we want nothing to do with God. It's about the eradicating of God. And his book thoroughly depressed me. Um, And then I turned to his proposals for how we should combat this. And he said this. He talks about 2 Sounds really dull, doesn't it? Tuism is a worldview that flows out of a way of life: the way of holiness. The way of holiness. Holiness, godliness, Christlikeness, the beautiful life that we've been talking about, is a way to speak of two-ness. He says, holiness isn't an ancient doctrine. It's the very essence of the present religious conflict. For all kinds of reasons, Christians must engage in the privilege of holy living in the present culture. The privilege of holy living. He says, to be a source of justice for the common good, to produce strong marriages and loving families, and hear this, that function as outposts of hope Is there anything that our world needs more than hope? How do we function as an outpost of hope? Live a godly, holy life, give yourself to It's what we're to do, and that's what Paul told Titus to tell the people in Crete 2000 years ago. Joseph did it in Egypt. Daniel did it in Babylon. Paul says to Titus, tell them to live that way in Crete. And now the baton, the flame like the Olympic flame for this beacon of hope is being handed to us. What a fantastic encouragement. Because it's not simply a beautiful life. It is a vital beauty that we are called to live out. It is to be, to be a Christian. It, it, to be holy is not for a few hardcore Christians. It's not some petty project for the pious. It's to be a lighthouse, to be a beacon to be a signpost to the fact that there is a God before whom we move and live and have our being. It matters because it tells people that there is a God. And that's why Christians shouldn't seek to be as much like the world as they can. A lighthouse doesn't blend in to the land You know, there are times when with my poor eyesight and I'm out at sea and I'm swimming, you don't want something that blends into the land. You need the lighthouse to be distinctive. You need your sighting point to be clear and obvious so that you've got, to be fair, hope. You know where you're going and you know you're heading back to land. And it doesn't accommodate itself to the sea, the lighthouse. It needs to do what it does. It needs to be what it is. And so, with that in mind, we want to look at our passage this morning and see two things. We'll spend most of our time on the first one. Called to Christ-likeness. Called to Christ-likeness, verses 1 to 10. And maybe you notice that Paul has a machine gun where he just fires characteristic after characteristic at you. 23 in all. And there are repeats. There's 27 that are there for us. And we could work our way through each of those words. But you're all, I think, able to read, um, and you don't really need me to explain them. We just need to get on with it. It's not rocket science. The overall drift of them is that we are to be godly, to be Christ-like, to live with that awareness that God sees everything that we do. Apple's slogan years ago used to be, think different. Paul here says, live different. And so there's two things I want to highlight in this first point. First of all, be an example. Be an example of godliness. Be an example. There's a call in these verses to be examples in the varying stages and places of life of what God the artist, the restorer, and the sustainer is doing to a life. He's making it beautiful. He's keeping it beautiful. Even when there's ugliness in the circumstances of life. And we are called to be examples of that. The older women are to be examples. Titus is to be an example. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. The older men are to model self-control. The younger men are to see self-control in them and they're called to it. So we're to be an example of godliness. And it's fascinating, isn't it, that Paul tells Titus to address the older men and women first. I think if it had been me, I would have had my sights trained on the young guys, and I would have been unloading 26 of the 27 commands on you. Um, Not Paul's way. Why does he do that? I think it's because he's telling them don't take your foot off the accelerator. Don't slow down. Don't ease off. Keep going. And as we think about being an example, I I want to take those categories and briefly just pick out and make application to each of them with regard to this beautiful life. Older men. Now, who on earth are older men? I realize I'm going... David talked about landmines yesterday. Uh, There's a landmine here. Not the older men one. It's quite simple. If you're older than me, you're an older man. And if you're younger than me, you're an older woman. No, you're a younger woman. Brain got ahead of me there. And quite frankly, I don't have a clue how to distinguish older and younger women. I'm gonna leave that to you here. Older men are to be an example of godliness our lives are to be marked by self-control and gravitas. There's to be a seriousness and yet a healthiness and a soundness and a joy because we are called to, to, did you see the the triumvirate of faith, hope, and endurance? Those great qualities of, of the Christian life. There's to be a vitality about you older men. You know, the danger that Paul is guarding against is that as trials come into our lives as we grow older and our bodies disintegrate and our circumstances perhaps get harder, that we become maybe embittered, that we become curmudgeonly and cantankerous, and that we lose hope and we don't endure, we don't finish well. And in the circumstances of the fall and the decaying world and the broken world, Older men and women are to live out their faith, keeping your foot on the accelerator. And I want to encourage you here this morning, if you're in that category, keep going. Keep going and finish, finish well. The danger is, isn't it, that we become grouchy or we become, we we, we pull ourselves back and we think those things are for the young. What do the young people need to see? that these truths apply at the end as well as the beginning and they need to see how to be a godly older person so go for it and inspire some of you are older women be an example of this beautiful life be an example of what a godly woman looks like there's a lovely word used here it's translated reverent, and that's a perfectly good translation but it's made up of two parts it's made up of a word that means what is fitting and proper and then There's a word attitude that means holy or or connected to the temple, and so reverent is a good translation. Live your life reverently, but one writer describes it this way. He says, carrying into daily life the demeanor of a priestess in a temple. Carrying into daily life the demeanor of a priestess in a temple, a dignity a richness, a beauty about the task. I've known godly older women who were graceful and winsome and it touched everyone that they met. They went through life with the bearing of the daughter of a king and the heart of a servant of the king. How stunningly majestic they were. Here is a call for you older woman, to invest yourself in others. To pass on godliness. Not withdrawing. But letting people see the richness of what Christ is doing in your life. In your circumstances. Where life is maybe getting hard at times. Where can you invest in living for godliness so that others see it? Some of you are younger women in a world that says... Live for yourself. That says put your goals first. That says express yourself. Get your identity from what you've achieved. God calls you here to self-control and holiness in a world that devalues marriage and the family and childbearing. The home is the building block of society and God has called some of you to that. It's a glorious task. Glorious this is the environment for your living and growing and displaying the beautiful life. Oh, it's hard. It's hard. Don't let this discourage you. We'll come later to encouragement. But what you do at home will echo in the lives of your children and your husband for eternity. It's godliness is the goal, not just getting through the day. You set an example. You set an example in the world that elevates work, that elevates individualism. You set an example of what God does with such commitment to his structures of society. Some of you are called by God to opportunity to serve outside of marriage and children. And that leaves you free to invest yourselves in godliness for the sake of others. To love and to serve and to be godly in front of them. What an astonishing privilege. Some of you are young men. You notice that the young woman got seven instructions. You get only one in your quest for godliness. That's not because you have less to work on, but because this will take your everything. Self-control. By God's grace, master your tongue, your desires, your appetites, your lusts, your ambitions, your tempers, your emotions. Master your thinking. Master yourself. God's word says to you, if you have put your trust in Christ, sin shall not be your master. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. And in a world of being authentic, the last thing anybody wants to see is the authentic Mark Lockridge. You don't want me to express who I am deep down. You want me to practice self-control. By the grace of God and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. That's what you want. In a world that wants people to be authentic and be true to themselves, God says, no, don't do that. Be self-controlled. Young men, master yourselves. Be an example to your peers of what it looks like so that you are not at the dictate of every stupid desire and every provoking fool, and every life-ruining temptation. Self-mastery. Men, in what area of your lives do you need this? What price are you willing to pay to get it? Self-control is seeing the godly goal in every situation and choosing it above all other competing desires. And Paul calls for it three times here. And that tells us that it's important, and it tells us that it's possible. Some of your ministers, like Titus, be an example in everything. My brothers, work harder at your character than at your sermon, and that's not saying to work less at your sermon. Work hard at it, but work harder at the other sermon, your character. Work it into the crevices of your heart before you go near God's people. Plunge the sword of God's Word deep into your heart. And then, and only then, when you've performed surgery there, dare you go into the operating room of the pulpit. Can you say, as Paul said, follow me. My brothers, if there's anything in your life where you would think, I hope none of my congregation see this. Deal with it. Set an example some of your employees we've heard from a doctor this morning there's the environment that you live out your your beautiful life as well as at home are you the sort of employee that people are glad you're there your colleagues are glad you're there they're glad that a christian they might disagree with everything you believe but man they like who you are your care your concern your diligence all of that be an example We are called to let our beliefs filter into every crevice of our lives. Be godly. Be an example of what a redeemed person looks like. And the second thing is the same except with a different word. Be an advertisement. Be an advertisement. Did you notice three times there's a little phrase, so that, or that? Look at verse 5. So that the word of God may not be reviled. Verse 8, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. About us. Paul doesn't say about you or about them. He says about us. About us. It's One part of the body affects the other. Verse 10, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We are to be like this so that we do not dishonor the Lord Jesus Christ, his word or his people. We either adorn the gospel or we disgrace it and we pull others down with us. It's Serious. You're either an advertisement for Christ or an advertisement against Jesus Christ and his word and his people. But Paul says this not just to challenge us but to encourage us. We, we, me, we, we can be an advertisement for the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not absolutely incredible that we would be entrusted with that? Be an advertisement. Notice the richness of it. It's not on the stage at a conference speaking to many people that he says, there you are an advertisement. It's in the home. It's raising your children. It's in your marriage. It's in your workplace. It's all of this ordinary stuff. Notice that it's not simply an issue of doing no harm, but as Paul goes on, he gets as if more excited and becomes richer. We can adorn the gospel. We can make more believable and more attractive the words that we are communicating to people about Jesus by our living. We are walking advertisements. So be the best advertisement you can be. Jesus has living signage, billboards all around Ireland. He has them all over the place. They don't need planning permission either. And they're not those illegal ones that are on Trailers Park, you know, at the side of the road. Oh, not really here. No, um, it's you and it's me. And he, he, here's what we're to do. We're to live such... Beautiful lives, such faithful lives. And, And you know, what beauty sometimes looks like is keeping believing in the midst of intense trial. That's beautiful. My mom was in a wheelchair for 30 plus years and had many trials in her life. One day a neighbor came and said to her Rosemary, I've been watching you for 30 years. Why are you always smiling? doesn't mean that life's always easy. This beautiful life, it can be lived in a wheelchair. Be an example. Be an advertisement. Now all that could be very discouraging if I stopped there. But Paul doesn't. He reverses his usual practice that he does in, in, for example, Ephesians, where he starts and unpacks the gospel and then he says, now live different. Believe different. Live different. Now he says, live different for, for, that brings us to our second point. Equipped for Christ-likeness. Equipped, called to it, and equipped for it. Remember last night, Gary reminded us and told us that we have the Spirit to help us, to equip us, to live the beautiful life. For the grace of God has appeared. For the grace of God. How and why live this way? Because the grace of God has appeared. Christ has appeared, and Christ will appear. Something astonishing has happened. Something astonishing will happen. And did you notice? We are connected. If you're a Christian, you're connected to the astonishing thing that has happened, and you're connected to the astonishing thing that will happen. Paul speaks of his first appearing trains us, and his second appearing, it's of our great God and Savior who gave himself for us We are connected to these two astonishing events, and that changes everything. These two appearings drive everything, fuel everything. And so let's consider them. First of all, let's say transforming grace has come. Transforming grace has come, for the grace of God has appeared. I find it interesting that he doesn't say that Jesus has appeared, but that grace has appeared. He means Jesus, but not simply Jesus in his life and death and resurrection, but all that Jesus brings through his salvation using grace highlights the generosity of God, the kindness of God. He's given us his son. He's given us the righteousness of his son. He's given us the atoning death of his son. He's given us the Holy Spirit through his son to convict and to convert and to assure and to sanctify He has given us redemption. He has given us adoption. He has given us reconciliation. He has given us assurance. He has given us that declaration of not guilty. He has given us a hope and a future. The grace of God has appeared to us. What did it cost you? Nothing. Because it's grace. In a gathering this size, I can't assume that everyone here has got that. We heard on the first evening, how Gary had thought himself uh, a, a Christian because he was he was doing the right things. I wasn't even good enough to think that. Um, I was so disobedient as a child. I never even got to that level. Um, but we can't. We can't. We need God to give us everything on a plate. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know what, that guy has just said that I need to master myself and have self-control and need to live a beautiful life. I'm gonna go and work harder. Don't bother your head. You need to start at the beginning. You need the grace of God to appear in your life. You need the emergency services of the triune God to come in and to resuscitate you so that you can live the life that you think you could live on your own, but you can't because you're dead in trespasses. So you need to go to him today. Go to him. Go to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, forgive me and change me. I am worse than I ever realized. I need you to make me into a new creation. And come come and speak to to Gary, to to David who spoke to to any of the, the pastors here, or your own pastor. Go and speak. Come and speak to us. Because you can't do it yourself. You need Jesus Christ to do it for you. You need to put your trust in him. But if you've done that, if you've entrusted yourself to Jesus Christ, something massive has happened. The saving, rescuing, redeeming, life-giving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ has put on flesh and stepped into your life, not simply for salvation, but for enabling you to live for him. This is why this is not simply challenge. It's not simply be an example, be an advertisement, try harder. No, it's not that. Paul uses a word here. He talks about it trains us. Some versions say teaches, but teaches is nearly too passive. It trains us. Have you had a coach training you? The gospel trains us. And more than that, later on in verse 14, he's going to say, that Jesus gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The grace of God has appeared to actually change you, to equip you for this beautiful life. It trains us to say no where we couldn't say no before. Has Satan been lying to you and saying, you can't beat this. This is too hard. This circumstance is too hard to live in. This this sin is too hard to get over. This Lies, lies. He's the father of lies. In Romans 6, We've quoted it already. Paul says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says, for the trials of life, God says to him, my grace is sufficient. The grace of God has appeared. All that we need all that we need has been provided and we need to look to him and as we look to him and as we set our hope in him and as we say by your enabling I'm going to keep going, guess what? He will keep us going. So fix your gaze not on trying harder. Have one eye on those words on the page and have another eye on Christ. Say, That's, I'm, I want to be like this so I'm looking at you to enable me to be like this. It trains us to say no, and it trains us to say yes, yes to being self-controlled and godly and upright lives in this present age. All that we've talked about, all that we've talked about, see Jesus didn't come to save us from hell, he came to save us from sin. He gave himself for this purpose, to redeem us from sin and to purify a people who would live for him now. Yes, heaven's ahead, but we're to live for him now. And he gave himself for that. And if it's worth him doing that, if he would go to the cross so that we could live this beautiful life now as an example, as an advertisement, and as to the life that God intends man and woman to have, how much more important is it that we follow it, that we hate what he hates, and that we love what he loves, He came to set us free from and free for. For good works. And he doesn't fail. That's your encouragement. That's your encouragement. Christ has come. The redeeming, equipping grace of God has appeared to you older men, to you older women, to you young men, to you young women. Transforming grace, if you're a Christian, has arrived in your life. Don't let Satan lie to you that you can't do it. You can change. You can grow. You can live in the circumstances he has placed you in. To be an advertisement in those circumstances, you can. Because Christ will enable you by his spirit. And then lastly, this second appearing. Triumphing glory will come. Triumphing glory will come. We look forward to his return. Do you remember Psalm 1? The, the righteous will stand on the day of judgment. They are like a tree rooted by a river, and the unrighteous, those who have, have lived for themselves, are like tumbleweed, like chaff. <sniffs> what we're doing, what that first psalm is telling us from the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ, is saying, "Don't give up. This is worthwhile. I will come for you. I will come for you. I will come for my people." He's coming to end all lawlessness and pollution. What a day. Are you looking forward to it? Paul writes to Timothy about those who have loved and longed for Christ's appearing. And as we're looking forward to that event, that'll change what we do now. It'll change our hope. It'll change the things that we engage in. Who wants to be found doing particular things that are not godly if Christ were to walk in the door? We want to instead be found living for him. Remember that parable where Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? And we want to say, yes, yes, Lord, by your grace, you'll find me. You'll find me living and believing. So these are our two anchor points. Christ has appeared. Christ will appear. One is a, an historical fact. The other is a theological certainty. One underscores the truth of Christianity. The other will set in concrete the truth of it for all time. With the first, you still have time. The first appearing, you still have time to respond to the grace of God which has appeared. It will be too late to respond when the glory of God appears. So my friend, if you haven't put your trust in Christ, don't waste this moment or you will waste your eternity. He would give himself for you, but you must give yourself to him. Let me finish with an illustration. It is as if when Jesus Christ first came, he taught a tune for us to sing and gave us a tempo to move to. The melody was set in our hearts, but the rhythm of the world is a different rhythm and the melody that it sings is a different melody. And it's hard to maintain a tune in your head when those around you are singing a different tune to a different rhythm. The temptation for us is to sing the world's tune. But Jesus taught us this tune for a reason. One day he will appear and the orchestra of heaven, as it were, will swell into a great crescendo and it will be playing our tune to our tempo. What a day it will be. The grace of God has appeared. And we wait for the glory of God to appear. And what do we do as we wait? We live to the music of godliness. Can you hear the tune? That's all Paul is telling us. Sing in tune. This is the tune. Keep singing it. Sing it in your homes. Sing it in your workplace. Sing it when you're old. Sing it when you're young. Sing it at every stage. And occasionally, those around us will hear the tune we sing and say... What's that tune you're singing? It's actually quite catchy. What does Ireland need? It needs people who will live as blazing examples and advertisements for the God who is there and the God who transforms individuals and societies. So let us stand with winsome unashamedness and live lives of beautiful holiness that adorn the gospel of our great God and Savior. Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh Lord God. We're dust. We are dust that rebels, and yet you have you have called us to this incredible privilege of not simply being redeemed and rescued, but to be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ to live out the beauty of his rescue in our day-to-day circumstances. And Father in heaven, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here. You know their circumstances. Some of them are really difficult. Some of them are heartbreakingly difficult. Some of them have pain that they haven't even expressed to people here. Some of them are wrestling with temptations and habitual sins that, that have hindered them for years. Some are facing onslaughts of temptation. Lord, lift their eyes to you. Equip them. Give them that sense of Satan's been lying to me. Give them that sense of the grace of God is sufficient. And Lord, may we live and light such a candle that by God's grace it will never be put out on this island and the people will see as as little candles burst into flame more and more that great beacon of light and hope that is the church of Jesus Christ in Ireland. Lord, we ask it not for our honor and glory, but the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.